Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast. I hope you all had a marvelous and happy holiday season and are welcoming the new year with bright anticipation and hope for things to come. This episode will be a little bit different from the usual format, as today I will not be discussing a film. In fact, except for this introduction and the end credits, you won't be hearing from me at all. Due to a heavy workload and bout of sickness, I was forced to put writing the script for the next episode aside. That left me with a problem. How was I going to get out the next episode in the customary three weeks of time I usually operate by? Then I got an idea. I have been a subscriber to the Suspense Radio podcast since October of 2018, and I wholeheartedly enjoy each episode of Old Time Radio. It was through Roddy that I found this marvelous podcast, as the host featured Roddy's single appearance on Suspense, One Way Street, in the second week of October last year. It was from this show where the unnamed host introduces the shows that he plays, gives a short history of the production, introduces the actors involved, and then lets the old-time radio productions take over that I got the idea for this episode. Since Roddy was so involved in so many different projects, to do this for today's episode seems very fitting, as it covers an aspect to Roddy's career other than film and will be wholly enjoyable for all who listen. Originally, I was going to use Lux Radio Theater's production of How Green Was My Valley, which is a lesser-known radio production that Roddy appeared in in September of 1942. However, when I downloaded the episode from the Fear You Can Hear old-time radio anthology website, I was dismayed to hear that the audio was absolutely horrendous and is beyond my editing capabilities to save it. So I had to scrap that idea. Instead, the two shows that I will be playing for today's show will be The Pied Piper, which aired on December 21st, 1942, and My Friend Flicka, which aired June 7th, 1943. The audio in these productions, though still imperfect due to their age, is much better in comparison to the unsavable radio show of How Green Was My Valley, and both are highly enjoyable. So, without further ado, I present to you two episodes of Lux Radio Theater and episode 13 of Not Just Yesterday. Every night at seven you walk in as fresh as clover and I begin to sigh all over again. Every night at seven you come by like me returning and me oh my I start in yearning again. You seem to bring Far away spring near me I'm always in full bloom When you're in the room For every night at seven Every time the same thing happens I fall once again in love But only with you Lux presents Hollywood The Lux Radio Theater brings you Frank Morgan in The Pied Piper with Roddy McDowell, Ann Baxter, and Ralph Morgan. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. At Christmas time, it's fitting and proper that we should bring you a story about children. 
This story is as timeless as children themselves and as modern as Christmas 1942. It's called The Pied Piper, and it stars Frank Morgan with Roddy McDowell, Ann Baxter, and Ralph Morgan. A fine novel by Neville Shute gave 20th Century Fox Studio the opportunity for this original screen drama. The heroic story of a man past fighting age who found another way to serve humanity. I'm sure you'll like Frank Morgan in the leading part. He's one of the most completely talented men I know. Besides starring with Mickey Rooney in pictures like the human comedy at Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios, Frank has a weekly radio program which adds a precious store of laughter to a busy world. You'll meet another side of him in the Pied Piper, a serious side. This week, Americans will be celebrating Christmas all the way from the Arctic to the tropics. We had a letter the other day from a lady in Fort Worth, Texas, who had our own idea for soldiers who may be dreaming of a white Christmas somewhere in the South Seas. She writes that two packages of Lux Flakes with full directions for making snow out of them are on their way to a South Pacific island for some of our soldiers. She also sent them tinsel rope and red candles. Now, there's a good deed. Of course, it's a little too late for the rest of you to send Lux Flake snow to the South Pacific. But there's plenty of time to put it on your own Christmas tree. And as you do it, you might think of a cocky-clad group way out there, perhaps with a different kind of tree, but the spirit is the same. Wherever two or three people of goodwill are gathered together, now the curtain rises on Act One of The Pied Piper, starring Frank Morgan as Mr. Howard, with Roddy McDowell as Ronnie, and Ann Baxter as Nicole. This is the story of an English gentleman named Mr. Howard, who became the father of six children all in the course of a few days. This sounds a bit incredible. But it's even more incredible when you take into account the fact that Mr. Howard didn't even like children. No, 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 no. It's not that I dislike children. I assure you I've never disliked children. It's, it's simply that they make me feel uncomfortable. I have no manner with them, if you know what I mean. They, they've, well, children are too bright. It was in the summer of 1940 that I first met young Ronnie Cavanaugh and his sister Sheila. They were staying at the same inn that I was in France, a quiet little place at the foot of the Alps near Switzerland. I'd been fishing there for a few days. Rather fair luck, too. I remember I came back to the inn one evening at sundown with my catch. The children were reading in the lounge, and Madame Picard was there, as always, standing in back of the little hotel desk. You have good luck today, yes? Here you are, madame. Two very fine trout. One for me and one for you for supper. Yeah, what an accomplishment. Mm. Two of them. Yeah. Look, children. Are they not beautiful? My father caught five today. Oh, did he? Probably fishing with worms. Oh, no, sir. He was fishing with an artificial fly. Yesterday he caught ten. Really? Is that so? Oh, but Ronnie, your father is such a young man. Mr. Howard, you must be tired. No, Sit I... down, rest. Yes. I will take the fish to Emily in the kitchen. Well, thank you, madame. Good evening, Mr. Howard. Yes, yes, good evening. I've just been doing my lesson. Will you help me, Mr. Howard? Help you? Is, uh, is that regarded as ethical? Sir? Oh, it 
it's quite all right, Mr. Howard. Everybody knows she cheats. Oh. You see, Mr. Howard, I have to name five states in the United States, and the only one I can think of is Texas. Texas, eh? Yes, well, let's see. Texas, and then... Uh... When there's uh, California. That's right, California. And uh, Virginia. Virginian cigarettes, you know. Virginia. And uh, Virginia, California. Uh, Rochester. Rochester? Yes. Rochester isn't a state. Really? Then may I ask what it is? Rochester's a city. It may very well be a city, young man. I don't deny that. I only contend that it's also a state. A state somewhat north, a bit to the northeast of the... Whether it's uh, the uh, New England colony. But it's not, Mr. Howard. It's just a city, and that's all. Yeah. A city in the state of New York. Did anyone ask you? No, sir. Then you'll be doing me a great favor by keeping your irresponsible conjectures to yourself. Yes, sir. Yeah. Good evening. Good evening, Daddy. Evening, Mr. Howard. Yeah, good evening. Hello, Dad. Hello, son. Anybody tried the wireless this evening? We ought to be able to get some English news if Berlin hasn't jammed it. Dad? Is Rochester in the United States a city or a state? Rochester? Rochester's a city, of course. Why? Mr. Cavanaugh, have you any corroboration for that statement, or is that simply your opinion? I'm afraid I don't quite understand, sir. Well, uh, Mr. Howard told Sheila that Rochester's a state. Well, I must admit I've never heard the question raised before, but I really don't believe it is. And what would you say, sir, if I informed you that I myself have visited the state of Rochester? In that case, naturally, I... I'd be compelled to admit that you were right, sir. Listen, Dad, I hear planes. Listen. Yes. Quite a few, I imagine. They're German, Dad. They're Heinkel. You can tell by the motor. Ronald, Ronald, those planes again. Yes, dear. They're German, Mother, I can tell. I heard them pass this afternoon, and now they're coming back. Where could they have been, Ronald? I don't know. I can't understand. But the fighting is all up north in Belgium. Yes. Unless things are worse than we've heard. Is the wireless working? Is there any news, monsieur? There ought to be. It's just about time. Twice they passed today. There he is. Where are they going, eh? Where? Here we are. I've got it. This is the overseas service of the British Broadcasting Company. London calling. It would be idle to deny that Britain today faces a dark hour. The enemy continues to advance. More channel ports, French as well as Belgian, are now under German occupation. And under such circumstances, we must be prepared to face any eventuality even invasion. In this hour of darkness, let Englishmen, wherever they may be, in whatever lands beyond the sea, hear again, by transcription, the words of the Prime Minister before the House of Commons this morning, and be of good heart. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, on the landing grounds, in the fields, in streets, and on the hills. Shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for one moment believe, this island or a part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the sea, armed and guarded by the British fleet, will carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its Power and might sets forth to the liberation and rescue of the old. One moment, please. Ronald, turn it off. Ronald, It I... is worse than we thought. Yes, but we are well out of it here, eh, Monsieur Howard? They will never fight this far south. We could hide out here for years, 
And for you and me, at our age, Monsieur Howard, that is a very comforting thought. Are you finished? <laughs> yes, Monsieur. Then allow me to inform you, sir, that if ever again you address one word to me, I shall take the greatest of pleasure in thrashing you within an inch of your life, regardless of your age. Yes, sir. Madame Picard, there's a train for Paris at 9 o'clock, isn't there? Why, yes, monsieur, but... I should be taking it. Please arrange with the station master for my reservation to London by way of Paris and St. Malo. But, monsieur, you've only been here three days. Three days of which I am heartily ashamed. I'll pack my things at once. Mr. Howard. Yes? I hope you're not being hasty because of anything this man has said. I can assure you that no one here believes for one second that you're here for... Well, for any but the best of reasons. No, I'm here because... Because I'm a selfish and pig-headed old man. I offered my services to every department of the government in London. But I, I was not needed. I was too old. In all of London, I was taken seriously by but one man, my vicar. He suggested to me that I knit. Knit for the soldiers. I'm afraid that I took some exception to his well-meant suggestion. But to run away like a sulky child was wrong, and I'm deeply ashamed of myself. That's not my point, sir. As you say yourself, you're not young. There is no other point. Young or old, an Englishman's place at a time like this is in England. And if the trains are running, I shall be there in 18 hours. To knit. An hour later, I was in my room, still packing, when Mrs. Cavanaugh asked to see me. She seemed quite strained and nervous. Mr. Howard, do you know what my husband does? No, I can't say that I do. He's an official of the League of Nations at Geneva. And in Geneva, they think that Switzerland is very likely to be invaded next. Do they really? That's where we're going tonight. Back to Geneva. But is that very wise if there's danger there? Well, that's not what matters. It happens to be his post of duty. I see. But if Hitler does come, there won't be much food. There never is under him. A filthy little gutter snipe. Well, for myself, I'm not afraid, nor my husband. It's the children we're thinking of. Oh, yes? Mr. Howard, yes. would you take them with you back to England? Do what? It would only be to Plymouth. My sister would meet you there with the car, and... Oh, I know, it's asking an awful lot. Well, I know, but you mean that boy, too? Please, he didn't mean to be rude. He's really a very good child. And he'll behave, I promise you. Mrs. Cavanaugh, I... Please. No, 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 no. It's impossible. I'm sorry. But it's out of the question. Really, I couldn't. I simply couldn't. That night, I left for Paris with Ronnie Cavanaugh and his sister, Sheila. And are we taking the train, Mr. Howard? Of course we are. Yes, yes, we are. And then we sleep on the train, will we? I expect so, yes. <laughs> she won't. What's that? She won't sleep on the train. What do you mean? Why won't she? Because she always gets sick on the train. Sick right on the floor. I don't either. You do. I don't. Of course you do. I do not. Now, please, let's not dispute the fact. Time will tell us who is correct, I'm afraid. The argument was settled an hour after we boarded the train. Sheila was quite sick. <laughs> With the kind aid of a French lady on the train, I took care of Sheila as best I could. The French lady had a child of her own and seemed to understand these things. Are you comfortable, mon petit? 
Oui, madame. She speaks French, yes? Madame, what uh, what seems to be the trouble with her? She's sick, monsieur. Yes, that I quite understand. I told you she'd be sick. Quiet, quiet. It is strange sickness, monsieur. But besides, she has fever. Fever? Maybe she has eaten something. Maybe she's been too hot in a draft. That is the way it is with children. Well, does she need a doctor? No. If she can rest a little while, keep warm, she will be all right, too. I see. Well, Ronnie, how are you? Oh, very fit, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I thought so. Where is little Rose? <laughs> Rose, yeah, you see. Oui, madame. Récit pour la petite fille. Monsieur, Rose will recite for your little girl. She will enjoy it. Thank you. How do you do, little Rose? Comment allez-vous, monsieur? Récit, Rose. Ma grand-tante demeure à tour dans une maison avec un cerisier, avec une petite souris. Quick, quick! I don't know, but I shall certainly find out. Now, don't move. I'll be right back. Now, just a moment, my good man. But, monsieur... I want to know when the next train leaves for Paris. To Paris? There is no more yes. trains to Paris, monsieur. Not trains to the north at all. But I hold tickets. I report you to the management. Monsieur, do you not understand? The Germans have crossed the Mars. The whole France is breaking. Maybe the trains will never run again. Never, but I have two small children. At your age, monsieur, that is undoubtedly magnificent. <laughs> but if this is a contest, I have nine. Now, look here. Mr. Howard, quick. Ronnie, I told you to stay on the train. Listen, there's a bus outside to shot. Shot? Why shot? There's a train there to Saint-Malo. The chef de gare told me. Well, then let's catch it by all means. Come along. Well, Ronnie, this was a bit of luck, all right, I must say. This bus idea was very clever of you. Very... Clever indeed. Thank you, sir. I expect that if you could break yourself of a certain insufferable pig-headedness, you'd be almost bearable. Are you comfortable, Sheila? Yes, sir. Comment allez-vous, monsieur? Well, 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 well. Little Rose. So you caught the bus, too, eh? Fine. And where's your mother, little Rose? Uh, that wasn't her mother, sir. How? That was her aunt. Well, where's her aunt? Good heavens, did we leave her behind? Uh, well, yes, sir. What is this? Uh, Rose, send Louis, les papiers. What are you saying to her? I'm asking her for a piece of paper her aunt gave her. Voila. Here it is, sir. There's something written on it. Yeah. Henri Tenoir, Dickens Hotel, Russell Square, London. I don't understand. Who is this Henri Tenoir? That's Rose's father. He's a waiter. But of what possible interest could his address be? Oh, so that's it. I'm to burden myself with another child. But, Mr. Howard, they hadn't any home. The Germans burnt it down. They didn't have anywhere to go at all, don't you see? Mm, come one, come all, eh? But you wouldn't want them to be caught by the Germans. Would That's you, not the point, sir. <laughs> oh, not sure, Howard, I like her. Don't you see, sir? Rose can take care of Sheila, and I can take care of her. So you'll have no bother. Yes, that's all very neatly arranged, eh? Well, perhaps I have something to say on the subject. I do not propose to become the mecca of every unfortunate child in France. No, sir. When we get the shot, I shall turn her over to the authorities and leave it to them to get her back to her aunt. Yes, sir. The only intelligent way to deal with such situations. Yes, sir. Sheila, will you tell Rose what Mr. Howard's going to do? All right. Rose, oui. 
Yes, just a moment. Yes, sir? Uh, <coughs> what was the name of that hotel? The Dickens Hotel, sir. I never heard of it in my life. But I, I imagine we'll be able to find it. Oh, Mr. Hart. Thank you, sir. We were about 40 miles from Schatz when the bus stopped to repair a tire. It was a lovely day. There was a stream just off the road where we sat down to have our lunch under the trees. And then the planes came. German planes. They dropped out of the sky, swam down toward the road in the bus. It didn't seem possible that they were trying to kill us. Are we all right? Sheila, Rose. Yes, sir. I'm going back to the bus to see if I can get our bags. And children, while I'm gone, I want you to promise me, don't don't look that way. Now, you won't, will you? Stay right here now. Ronnie, I'm going to look. No, Ronnie, don't. Sheila, look. There's dead people there. Dead people. We were still there on the road when night came, and I herded the three children into a deserted old barn to sleep. But then I noticed that there were no longer three children. There were four. Fourth was a boy with a pale, thin face and the dull, glazed eyes of a child in fear. He couldn't seem to talk. He, he only repeated one phrase over and over. Ms. Almang, Ms. Almang. This, uh, this child, is he with us now? Yes, sir. I, I brought him in, sir. Ms. Almang. He can't talk, Mr. Hart. That's all he says. Ms. Almang, the German. Who is he? His name is Pierre. How did you learn that? He told him. But he can't talk. No. May I speak to you privately, sir? Well, yes, of course. Mr. Howard. He was in the bus, sir. Didn't you see him? Yeah. The dead people, sir. They were his mother and father. I see. He can't speak, and I don't think he can hear either. I see. Here. Here, lad. Let, let, uh, let me see you. Look up here. Miss Almond. Miss Almond. Yes, yes, my boy. We'll take care of you now. You... You have nothing to fear from now on, my boy. Mr. Howard, sir. Yes, Ronnie. I can't sleep, sir. Oh, well, you must try. Yes, sir. Mr. Howard. Yes? I'm sorry I was rude the other night about Rochester. Oh, that's, that's quite all right. It doesn't matter in the least. I was wrong, you know. No, no, not at all. I may very well have been wrong myself. So many of those American states. Kansas, Massachusetts, whatever. What's the Indian state? Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yes, that's it. 
seemed very likely there might be another named Rochester. No reason why not, you know. Oh, none whatever, sir. Hmm. I remember it very well now, sir. You do? Oh, yes, sir. A very important industrial state. Well, I'm not such an old fuddy-duddy after all, eh? I should say not, sir. <laughs> My memory may have gone a bit ragged here and there, but when it comes to geography, you'll generally find I'm pretty good. Oh, I can see that, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's very decent of you to acknowledge it, too. Thank you, sir. Well, good night, my boy. Good night, sir. In a moment, we'll hear Act Two of The Pied Piper, starring Frank Morgan. With Roddy McDowell, Ann Baxter, and Ralph Morgan. But between the acts, Sally and I have a story for you. It's called, Where There's a Wool, There's a Way. Or, Leave It to Lux. It's a continued story, because when you leave it to Lux to care for them, the sweaters and scarves and socks and mittens, all the washable woolies you get for Christmas, will continue to wear longer. And it's an escape story. Because with gentle Lux care... You escape things that are particularly hard on woolens. There's no harmful alkali, no need for hot water, none of the cake soap rubbing that's so apt to shrink and harshen the soft woolen fibers. It's a story that needs to be told, too, these days when wool is so precious. You know how wonderful Lux is for woolens, but it's a thoughtful idea to tuck a box of Lux in with the woolies you give for Christmas. Your gifts will be better appreciated the longer they last. And they'll last longer, wear better, when you lux them. But Sally, let's get right down to the facts of our story. How to wash a sweater. Chapter one. Draw an outline of your sweater on a big sheet of paper. Then, make rich, lukewarm lux studs and squeeze them gently through the sweater. Don't rub, don't wring or twist. Chapter two. Rinse thoroughly and water the same lukewarm temperature. Then roll in a Turkish towel to take out excess moisture. Chapter 3. Unroll and pin it with rust-proof pins to the outline you made before you luxed it. Then dry flat, away from heat. So there's our story. A story that really begins when you buy a big box of Lux Flakes and leave it to Lux to care for your precious woolens. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Piper, starring Frank Morgan as Mr. Howard, with Roddy McDowell as Ronnie, and Ann Baxter as Nicole. As the Pied Piper of old led his children to a happy land beyond the mountains, so our Piper, Mr. Howard, tried to lead them beyond the sea to security, to safety, to England. It took us three days to reach Chat. I remembered then that I had a friend there, a young lady named Nicole Rougeron, whom I had met on a vacation in St. Moritz. 
I decided I would appeal to her for help. Monsieur Alba. Oh, monsieur. You, you remember me, mademoiselle. But naturally, monsieur. Come in, please, quickly. Uh, yes, well, but I'm not alone. Come in, and the little ones, too. Oh, thank you. Well, come in. Come in, children. Maman. Maman, you remember Monsieur Howard last year at Saint-Maurice? Madame, I am happy oh, to see... Oh, please, if you speak English, close the door. Come inside. To speak English today is not safe. Not safe for any of us. I know, madame, and I have no No, wish... no, 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 please. We must be careful. That is all. Our friends are still our friends. Regardless. That is very kind of you, madame. But, monsieur, the children. You did not have them last year. Madame, some of them I did not have 24 hours ago. <laughs> we, uh, we're on our way to England. Allow me to introduce them. Madame Rougeron, Mademoiselle Nicole Rougeron. This is Ronald, a fine lad. And this is his sister, Sheila. And this is Rose. And this here is Pierre. And this is... This is... Who is this? I'm Kunam Kenneth de Mark and What? Where did you come from? I've never seen this one in my life. Ronnie! Uh, yes, sir? When did he join us? Oh, he's been with us on and off since yesterday. I see. You mean, monsieur, you do not know who he is? No, but on this trip, that doesn't seem to be necessary. Boy, where did you spring from? Come on, speak up. It can't stand, Manier. That's Dutch. His name is Willem. Not William, Willem. Yes, how do you know that, Sheila? He told us. Now, listen to this, mademoiselle. Sheila, do you speak Dutch? Oh, no, sir. Do you understand Dutch? No, sir. But he told you? Yes, sir. Then in what language did he tell you? In no language. He just told us. Yes. Well, I suppose there must be some normal explanation for this system of communication. Very well, Willem. We'll do what we can for you. Of course, of course. The poor little ones. I wonder if they would like something to eat. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Of course they would. Just come with me. Oh, yes, yes, they understand that all right, too. I'm occasionally seized with the conviction that I'm convoying guinea pigs. You are, uh, you understand that you are in great danger here. I do. But I promise you I shan't involve you and your mother. In just a few minutes, when I've rested a bit, we'll be on our way. But I was hoping to see Colonel Rougeron also. We have not heard from my father for several months. At that time, he was at his regiment before met. Oh, you... You have my sympathy, mademoiselle. I understand. You see... You see, I too have suffered a loss. You... You remember my son, Jean? Jean? Hmm. Oh, yes, but... I, I regret to inform you that he... He was killed. He was in the RAF, you know. Shot down over Helgoland two months ago. Gave a very decent account of himself, I understand, before they... Before they got him. Then he, he's dead. Excuse me, please. Mademoiselle Nicole was very kind. She helped us arrange for tickets on the train. When we left for Chartres, she even came along with us. May I ask now where we are bound? To the channel, monsieur. Uh. The bridge Nicole. There is someone there that I know who might help. 
but was this necessary for you, this this long, not very safe trip? Even if someone else could have done it with you around, I would not permit it. It is a thing that I must do myself, myself alone, nobody else. Mademoiselle, I appreciate this, even if I don't understand it. It would be just a year ago, wouldn't it? That month in Sanoi. But a long year and a sad one. Yes. Quite all hard to realize. Every now and then I feel that it's all a dream. Presently we'll all wake up. Perhaps John will walk in and we'll sit down and talk together again. I know. Took free to bring him down, you know. You, uh, you remember him kindly, don't you? Yes. In letters. Our last, our only visit together. In Paris. You saw him in Paris? Once. Just once. For three days. That was just before the invasion. We had a, a beautiful three days. I... I had no idea of that. We told nobody. In time we would have, I suppose. We planned to anyway. Then he went back. And I waited to hear from him. It's funny. You wait and wait, day after day. You wait for a letter. And then it comes. But, but it's not from him. It's from his squadron. So for a long time, you do not open it. He sits and holds it in your hand, wishing you need never open it. Because you know that a letter from his squadron, from a friend, can have but one thing to tell. And then at last, you do open it. My dear child. And then after that, your whole world is darker than it was before. Nicole's loss had been as great as mine. And I understood then why she had come with us. We went to a little town near the channel to the home of Nicole's uncle. With the children off to bed, he listened to our story, smoking his pipe, nodding quietly. What do you propose now, Nicole? You have fishing boats, Uncle. You know young men, daring young men. Can you not find one who will take Monsieur Howard and the children across the channel? I'm quite prepared to pay, you understand. And what is the price of a man's life, Monsieur? Uncle, there are little children. They must not be left here. Our country is no longer a place for children. Our country is no longer our country. You do not know, Nicole. You have not begun to learn what it is to live under the bush. How do I know I can prosper? How do I know this is not a trap? But I know him, Uncle. I know him very well. How do I know I can trust you? Voyons. How do you know you can trust me? I refuse even to think of such things. Andre de Bosch, child, that is what happens. As I have said before, I have no wish to involve anyone else in my own personal problems. I shall, of course, leave the house. No, no, please. Let me sleep on it, monsieur. Perhaps tomorrow. Listen. Do you hear? It is a raid on Brest. Why? It is the harbor. They're after the ships. Why, those filthy... No, no, monsieur. It is a British raid. Those are British planes. British? That is it. They're after Hitler. There was a report in Brest today that he was there inspecting the invasion fleet. Well, after Mr. Schickel, Grover, eh? Well... Mr. Howard, what is it? Is it a raid, sir? I should say it is. Those are British planes, my boy. The RAF. The RAF? Yes, I've got to go and get a look at this, by George. Yes, there they are, see. Bang, that's it, boys. Bang. Hit them again. 
Bang, bang! By George, this is the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. Bang! It was late that night when Nicole's uncle came to my room. I have found the man who made all the arrangements. His name is Roquet, and he's brought it at the fishing village just 10 kilometers from here. You and Nicole will meet him tomorrow in a cafe near the docks. Nicole knows. Roquet, okay, Monsieur Roquet. Okay. Nicole, ah! Que diable faites-vous ici? On va Monsieur Awal. Order is all right. You have the boat. The boat it is by the bottom of the lighthouse. You understand? Yes. From the outside of the cafe, you will see the lighthouse to the right. You understand? Yes. When do we start? Tonight. Now. The sooner the better. Bonsoir. Bonsoir, Nico. Bonsoir, Goodbye. There is the lighthouse, monsieur. And there is the boat. <laughs> she left. Stop here. Okay. Here. This way. Well, I suppose this is goodbye. Bon voyage, monsieur. My child. Won't, won't you come with us to England? No, monsieur. I am not English. I am French. And you have told me yourself that... In times of trouble, one should be in one's own country and do what one can to help. This is where I belong, see? Yes, but afterward... Oh, afterward, I shall come. <laughs> well, goodbye, my child. Goodbye, monsieur. Foster! Foster! Mr. Howard! Shh! I can see it in Boston! I can see the man! Oh, here, look at They're Germans! Soldiers! So! You are leaving us, eh? You are English, yes? Well? I am English. This young lady is not. She is French. You will come with me. All of you. But I tell you, you that will you... come with me. Ah, the boatman. You are English also? I am French. Boom of the papoos al Now, monsieur, you will come this way. Please. They they really got us, haven't they? Well, it looks that way, lad. Oh, Pierre. Pierre. Miss Armand. Miss Armand. Miss Armand. Miss Armand. McDowell, Ann Baxter, and Ralph Morgan will return in just a moment for Act Three of The Pied Piper. Now, would you like to know how to make your own Christmas weather? Or at least your own homemade snowstorm? Well, let's look in at this window. Here, where we can see the Christmas tree. There's a pretty girl mixing something in a bowl. Now, we're ready. See? 
a big bowl of snow. Now you spread it along the branches, like this. There. Doesn't that look lovely? Just as though our tree had been out in a real snowstorm. Yes, you can have beautiful, real-looking snow for your tree. Snow that will last the whole holiday season, made of pure white Lux Flakes. It's a lot of fun to make. The whole family can help with it. And it's a grand idea for a Christmas Eve party. Here's how you make Lux Snow. Pour a big box of Lux Flakes into a large bowl or dishpan. Gradually add two cups of warm water and beat with an egg beater till it looks like rich whipped cream. Then dip your hands right in and spread the snow along the branches with your fingers. The Lux Snow by itself is lovely, but of course you can add lights and ornaments if you wish. The snow is a fine background for their bright colors. We put some on the wreaths in our windows, too. And when we got our tree, we got some extra branches. We spread them with Lux Snow and put them in vases. Some in the dining room and some in front of a mirror in the hall. They make the whole house look so Christmassy. Remember, to make Lux Snow for your tree or table decorations, use two cups of warm water to each large box of Lux Flakes. Beat the mixture with an egg beater till it looks like thick whipped cream. Be sure to get the large box of Lux Flakes. Your dealer has printed directions for making Lux Snow. Now, Mr. DeMille returns to the microphone. After the play, we'll give you a chapter of the true confessions of Frank Morgan. But now the curtain rises on the third act of The Pied Piper, starring Frank Morgan with Roddy McDowell, Ann Baxter, and Ralph Morgan. land of hope lay just across the channel, a few miles of water between refuge and despair. But Mr. Howard and the children were on the wrong side. They brought us to a house in the town, the headquarters of the Gestapo, the children and Nicole and Roquet and I. They took us before a major who sat smiling at us from behind his desk. Very touching, yes. A lovely group of children, mein Herr. I suppose you know that Charendon has been arrested. I haven't the foggiest idea what you're talking about. Nor have you ever heard of Major Cochran, I suppose, of Room 212 Army Intelligence in the War Office in London. No. Your memory obviously needs freshening. So, an English gentleman traveling across France with five children, anxious only to get back home. A pretty and a most disarming device. It happens to be the truth. Who are these children? Where did you get them? The two English children belong to friends of mine. The others... You insist on this absurd story. You asked for the truth, didn't you? Yes, and I forget it. You see, we know who sent the information to the English of the Fuhrer's visit to the fleet at rest. We know who caused that raid. You and Sherendon. What we do not know and what you shall tell us is how that message was passed through to England. That is what you are going to tell us, Mr. Englishman. And as soon as it is told, the pain will stop. Not before. Take them away. Yeah. I say one question, please. Did they get him? Get whom? Hitler. Of course not. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Thank you. 
took us out of the room, and then they brought me alone to another room down the hall and left me. There was a man sitting there. I'm afraid you have the advantage of me, sir. No, I'm English, too. Half at any rate. Oh, English? Well, what are you doing here? Waiting to be shot. Oh, you're... you're Charendon. You've heard of me, eh? I'm supposed to be mixed up with you in some way, that raid on the ship. <laughs> Too bad we didn't get the little beggar. But I'll bet we scared him out of his pants. You mean you were responsible for that, really? Why, oh, help? They caught me, so there's no point in denying it. Only I wish they'd stop throwing innocent people in this room with me on the theory that they're going to convict themselves in some fashion. Really, I look for better things from you, Major Deason. More ingenious. Nothing as childlike as this. I say, are you feeling all right? Quite. I'm assuming, of course, that there's a microphone in this room somewhere. Oh. They're listening to us right now. You're wasting your time, Major. This man knows nothing about my affairs. But I will tell you this. The English will be back here, and the Americans too. And I warn you, they'll not be as gentle as they were after the last war. They'll deal with you this time as they would with vermin. As for you, if you kill this old man, I can assure you that you will be hanged publicly and your body left to rot on the scaffold as a warning to your other murderers. That ought to hold him. You're you're a very rash young man. I'm in for it anyway. (laughs) At least I can get a bit of satisfaction out of it. Major had evidently heard enough. A few minutes later, he sent for me again. We are throwing a little board with your friend Carrington. Really? If I were in your place, I would not dismiss what he says too lightly. Come here. If I were in your place, look out the window there. A very pleasant garden, isn't it? Very. That is where your friend, Mr. Charrington, is going to die in just a few minutes. Unless you decide to help him. I know nothing whatever of his work or how he went about it. And if I knew, I would not tell you. You would live. He would live. If you are sensible. But I have nothing to tell. Look. They're bringing him out. You see? It is a very little thing that I ask. Tell me how he got the information out of France. And I will stop this execution. I have told you truthfully, I do not know. You haven't much time. Think about it again. Nobody would ever know, I promise you. Can't you understand? I know nothing. As you wish. Just a few seconds now. Are you going to tell me? Well? Too late, I'm afraid. Oh, a pity. Come to the window. Wouldn't you like to see what you have done? Swine. Foul, filthy swine. Sit down. You puzzle me, really. If you are a spy, you are at least a very clever one. What did you intend to do with these children? What? These children. What did you plan to do with them? I don't know. I hadn't thought. Send them to America, I suppose. America? Why, America? I have a married daughter who lives in a district called Long Island. She would have made a home for them until the war was over. Are you seriously asking me to believe that a woman in America 
would make a home and her own house for five little dirty children that you have picked up? I am no longer interested in what you believe. Listen, I will confess to anything you wish if only you'll let them go. And Mademoiselle, too. If you'll do that, I'll, I'll confess to anything you say. It is impossible. I simply do not know what to make of you. I can only say that you must be a very brave man to make such an offer. No, no, not brave. Just old. He was not finished with me yet. The next day I saw him again, alone. I do not believe one word of your story about these children. Particularly about your plan to send them to America. I'll say anything you wish if you'll only let them go. What about the Jewish child? Jewish? The dark one. Is he Jewish? It didn't occur to me to ask. But in America, would they accept a Jewish child? I don't believe that they'd turn down any child, even a German. Even a German? Are you positive of that? Yes. Mr. Howard, how would you like to continue your trip to England? Not without the children. And Mademoiselle? No, no. She wants to stay here. That is what we want, too. Splendid. But if I were to let you go to England with the children, would you be grateful enough to do me a small service? That would depend on what it was. There is a certain person to be taken to America. I do not want to advertise her journey. If you think for one second that I'd introduce a German agent into America, you're an even greater fool than I've considered you. Remain seated, please. You could hardly act as an agent since she is only five years old. Five? Listen carefully. This little girl is my niece. Her father, my younger brother, is dead. My mother, we learn later, was not wholly Aryan. So we were compelled to dispose of her. But the unfortunate problem of the child remains. Half Aryan, half Jewish. She happens to be a sweet child. And I would feel better if she were with my older brother in the United States. He is an American citizen. She'd be safer, you mean. If you wish. His name is Rupert Deason. He now has a business, a grocery in a city named Rochester, New York State. His address... City? City of Rochester, New York. Are you positive? Of course I'm positive. What are you talking about? Haven't you ever heard of it? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Certainly I've heard of it. (laughs) His uh, address is 600 North 3rd Street, and that is where I want her to go. Meanwhile, uh, Mademoiselle may return to her home in shot. And no harm will come to her. Not unless you are foolish enough to tell anyone of this arrangement. Very well. I should be very glad to take the child and see that she's delivered to her uncle. What is your address in London? I shall send for you when we arrive there. 42 Curzon Street. Yours, I assume, will be a cell in the Tower of London. We were released that night, all of us. Roque had the boat ready and we stood lined up on the deck waiting for the little girl we were to take with us. She arrived with the major, a tiny child carrying a doll in her arms. Oh, this must be Anna. How do you do, Anna? How do you do, Anna? Oh, Hitler. <laughs> Children, stop. Stop it immediately. Major Wiesen, had not you better explain to Anna that from now on that salute would be out of place? Very well. Anna, from noon on, brauchst du nicht mehr, Herr Hitler, zu sagen. Du kommst um die Leute, die das nicht verstehen. Nicht mehr. 
<laughs> get aboard. I want to see you get away. Yeah. All of you, get aboard. Well, goodbye, Nicole. Goodbye. All of this I know you have done for my boy. And for him, I thank you. Some for him. Some for you, too. Once I thought there could never be another man as fine and as brave as your son. But I was wrong. And it was not all for you, either. It was for the children. Somehow, somehow they represent hope for the future. You are the past. I am the present. They are the future. So we must take very good care of them. I haven't all night, please. Au revoir, my dear. You'll, you'll come to see me when it's all over, and we'll talk about John. Oh, yes. One more thing, Mr. Englishman. There must be no trickery. If one word of this appears, it will be the concentration camp for your young lady. Remember that. And if anything happens to my young lady and I hear of it, this whole story will be in the papers and on the shortwave radio, mentioning you by name. And you remember that. You dare threaten me. You dare threaten me, didn't you? Go! Go! Uh, Au revoir. Good luck. Happiness. Au revoir, Nicole. Well, we're on our way, children. I think you'd better all go below and see if you can't get some sleep. Do we have to take off our clothes tonight? No, you may sleep with them on tonight. Good night. Good night, my dear. Good night, little Anna. We're all friends now. Good enough, here, Howard. Uh, oh, Ronnie. Yes, sir? There's, uh, there's a little matter I think I ought to clear up with you. What's that, sir? You, uh, you remember our little uh, discussion regarding uh, Rochester? Oh, yes, sir, but I told you. I know, but it, it seems that we were both wrong. Really, sir? Yes, I, I happened to be talking it over with a fellow the other night. The fellow knew all about it. It's not a state at all, it's a city. A city in New York State. Well, now, isn't that odd, sir, that we both should have made that same mistake? <laughs> You're really a very extraordinary boy, Ronnie. I'm very fond of you. And, uh, I apologize to you. We reached the English coast the next morning, and in three weeks I had seen them all off to America. That was over two years ago, but I hear from them quite often. Just yesterday I had six Christmas cards, six cards in round, childish hands, wishing me joy. And I wish them joy, too, for this Christmas, next all the Christmases to come. For this is what we are all fighting for. And this is our prayer. That there shall be other Christmases. That children of every land, of every race and color and creed, may laugh and play and sing on Christmas morning. And say, Merry Christmas to a brighter and a better world. Merry Christmas. 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 Merry
stars return for a curtain call, here's a Christmas present we wish we could promise to the women in our audience. A way of getting all those Christmas dinner dishes clean without having to wash them. Well, that's a gift I'm afraid we'll have to leave for some future Santa Claus. But Lux Flakes can play Santa Claus for you by keeping your hands soft and smooth and pretty in spite of extra dishwashing. More than that, you can even make yourself a present of lovelier hands if you'll change to Lux for dishes. Yes, if your hands are red and rough from strong soaps in the dishpan, you can bring them back to their natural loveliness simply by changing to gentle Lux Flakes. That has been proved in actual laboratory tests, proved by scores of women whose hands have been reddened and roughened by strong dishwashing soaps. When they changed to gentle Lux, the redness began to disappear within a few days, and soon the hands grew soft and smooth and lovely again. They used no creams or lotions on their hands. They just changed to Lux. Yes, it's as easy as that to change dishpan hands to soft, smooth Lux hands. So here's a note for your shopping list tomorrow. Get a big box of Lux Flakes for dishes. Now, here's Mr. DeMille with our stars. Now we welcome two members of the House of Morgan back to our stage. And with Frank and Ralph come Roddy McDowell and Ann Baxter. House of Morgan, eh, C.B.? I wonder if my banker ever thought of that. <laughs> You'd never suspect, C.B., that Frank has a hidden sorrow. I'll uh, bet he wants to play Hamlet. Oh, no. I had a very unfortunate experience with Hamlet. Don't, uh, don't tell me your tights ripped. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> we, uh, we weren't doing well financially, and one night the sheriff paid us a visit. He walked right on the stage during the gravedigger scene and confiscated the shovels. <laughs> what was your hidden sorrow, Mr. Morgan? He failed at his chosen career. I always remember him at Christmas time, standing up there with his shining face, singing carols. He was a boy soprano in a church choir. How did you fail, Mr. Morgan? My voice changed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm changing the subject, Mr. DeMille. What about next week's play? Uh, there's good news about that, Anne. Because next week, we'll present the screen hit, A Star is Born. And our stars will be Judy Garland, Walter Pigeon, and Adolf Mongeau. A Star is Born is a drama of Hollywood of a girl who had the courage to fight for success and the courage to give it up. A great play and three great stars. That's really an inspiration, C.B. They'll be great in that play. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. night. Don't forget to hang up your stockings. Before we say good night, I'd like to tell you my favorite Christmas story. It concerns a little boy named Pierre, and it happened in San Francisco some years ago. The pastor of a church in that city discovered one Christmas day that the figure of the Christ child was missing from a group depicting the nativity at Bethlehem. The pastor was leaving the church, wondering what kind of vandal could have done such a thing, when he was almost run over by the little boy Pierre, pulling a little red wagon. And in the wagon was the tiny figure of the Christ child. The pastor was amazed and spoke severely to the boy, trying to explain the misdeed he had committed. 
The boy replied, but I, I prayed to the Lord for a red wagon, and I promised him that if I got it, I'd give the Christ child the very first ride in it. So, so I'm keeping my promise. It's his birthday. Ladies and gentlemen, on this Christmas of 1942, the civilized nations of the world are fighting for many freedoms, among them the right of little boys like Pierre to worship as they choose. Now, no matter where you may be, our sponsors, the makers of Lux Flakes and Lux Toilet Soap, join me in wishing you every happiness of the Christmas season. And we invite you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater will present Walter Pigeon, Judy Garland, and Adolf Monjou in A Star is Born. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from... Hollywood. Did you know that when you roast a turkey or a chicken for Christmas dinner, you can help produce ammunition? Here's how it works. The manufacture of high explosive requires glycerin. Glycerin can be made from waste kitchen fats. You'll have some extra fats left over on Christmas, so send them off to war. Put all your waste fats in a clean, smooth-edged can and take them to your meat dealer regularly. Roddy McDowell and Ann Baxter appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox Studio. Roddy McDowell will soon be seen in the picture, My Friend Flicka, and Ann Baxter in Crash Dive. Heard in tonight's play were Deli Ellis, George Sorrell, Eric Snowden, Leo Cleary, Norman Field, Hal Gerard, Alec Harford, Claudine Logique, Noreen Gamil, Merrill Roden, Florette Zama, Maurice Tauzin, Mary Raymond, Vernon Steele, and Barbara Jean Wong. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. And this is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in next Monday night to hear Judy Garland, Walter Pidgeon, and Adolph Manjou in A Star is Born. This Christmas, give the greatest gift of all, a chance to... Radio Theater brings you Roddy McDowell, George Brent, and Rita Johnson in My Friend Flicker. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Among the grown-ups of this world, there's usually something less than perfect understanding. But between boys and horses, there's a deep and abiding sympathy that... Leaves no room for bickering. Not a word is spoken. But there's a miracle of communication and a lump of sugar. A pat on the head or a nuzzled cheek. I had a horse when I was a boy. So when I heard what my friend Flicker was about, I knew I'd like it. But I was not prepared for the deep emotional experience which the 20th Century Fox picture gives to all who see it. Roddy McDowell's fine performance as the boy and Mary O'Hara's great story fit perfectly together. And tonight, we've brought back an old favorite of yours, George Brent, as Roddy's father, 
with Rita Johnson from the picture cast as his mother. This drama has the power of simplicity. It's the story of a boy on a ranch and the outlaw horse who is his friend. Together they meet the joys and the pathos of their simple life, a life perhaps we all may envy. I believe it's plays like this which have given the Lux Radio Theater its reputation through the years and earned the loyalty which you have given to this theater and to Lux Toilet Soap. You know, it takes about 40 people to bring one of these plays to the microphone in addition to the actors. There are the engineers, writers, musicians, sound technicians, stagehands, script girls, play readers, research experts, and just plain handymen like me. All these people work all week so that you can have this hour of entertainment on Monday night. And you've certainly done your part magnificently. You've given us many excellent suggestions, and we've given you a double feature, a fine play and a fine product, Lux Toilet Soap. And here's the fine play right now, as the curtain goes up on the first act of My Friend Flicker, starring Roddy McDowell as Ken, George Brent as Rob, and Rita Johnson as Nell. Around the lower meadow they flash, the brood mares of the Goose Bar Ranch, and their new foals, around and around again. There's the great stallion, Banner, his proud mane flung out in the wind, and there's his lady, Rocket, her eyes rimmed with white as her graceful body sweeps through the high grass. And there are the foals, running close beside their mothers, running because they're so new to the world and so happy to be in it, and because the morning sky is clear. And the spring wind is fresh with the smell of pines from the mountains. Yes, this is the family of the stallion banner. This is the lifeblood of the ranch. Now toward the ranch house comes another horse. This one wears a saddle, but no rider. He runs free, his bridle whipping about his head. What now, Heldy? Look, Papa, here comes Cigarette. But there's nobody on him. Gee, this again. Oh, boy. Here, boy. Oh, there. Oh, oh. That's the boy. Easy, boy. Easy. Yes. Yeah, boss. What's the matter? Is that Cigarette? Yeah, boss. She come back alone. Ken riding her? He was, but he ain't now. Heldy, keep quiet. Yes, Papa. Doggone that kid. Look at this bridle. Snapped in half. Hope Ken's all right. Oh, young'un's full light, boss. He's used to it. Ah, well, there's always a chance of getting hurt. Saddle shorty. I'll better go see. Yeah, boss. Oh, wait a minute. Never mind, Gus. Here he comes now. He's limping. I bet he hurt his leg. Ken? Yes, sir? Come here. Yes, Dad? You all right? Sure, I'm all right. Just skin my knee a little. Did cigarette toss you again? Yes, sir. Then she dig your heels in her belly again. I didn't. Did you, son? Yes, sir. Well, good heavens, Ken. Aren't you ever going to grow up? How many times have I told you not to tap your heels into her? And look at that bridle. The second one you've broken this week. I'm sorry, Dad. Oh, Ken, did you find a saddle blanket? What saddle blanket? This one. I I lost it out in the rain yesterday afternoon. I was looking for it this morning. Rode with a saddle, I suppose, and forgot to cinch it properly. Yes, sir. Gee whiz, look. It's all cord. Will you keep quiet, Hildy? It it got caught on some barbed wire, Dad, and... You're the doggone kid for losing and busting and forgetting. Dad! Never mind the excuses. There's your mother ringing for breakfast. Pull that horse out and come up to the house. Yes, Dad. Mm-hmm. 
office already. Any mail this morning? Right over there. Where's Ken? Oh, he's coming. Cigarette tossed him again. Oh. I don't know what I'm going to do with that boy. Doesn't seem to pay any attention to what I tell him. Always losing equipment or breaking it or spoiling it somehow. Oh, he's still a child. Well, he's yeah. old enough to have his wits about him. I've never seen such a young one for walking around with his head in the clouds. Wonder he doesn't trip over his feet. Morning, Mom. Come on, darling. Eat your oatmeal while it's hot. Now, look at that. Rob, what is it? Ken's report card. Well, Ken, I suppose it won't surprise you to know that you haven't been promoted. No, sir. And here, maybe you'd like to see your mark. Oh, let him eat his breakfast first. Just as a matter of curiosity, Ken, how do you go about getting a zero in English? Forty in history, seventeen in arithmetic, but a zero. Just as one man to another, what goes on in your head? Well, haven't you got anything to say for yourself? Nothing, sir. Well, what were you doing in that English exam? What were the questions you missed? We were supposed to write a composition. Well, couldn't you think of anything? Yes, I had it all planned. I was going to write the story of how you lost your polo mare, how that wild albino came down from the meadow one year and stole her from Banner, and then how she came back, and her foal that year was white, the albino blood, and how it was passed on every year. Then how Rocket was born, and she was so beautiful and everything, that she could never be broken, because that wild blood was in her. I was going to write all that. Well, why didn't you? I... I got to thinking. I thought we had time. I thought the hour had just begun when the school bell rang. So you never even got started? No, sir. Not a single word, Ken? No, ma'am. Just daydreaming, huh? No, Dad, I was thinking about... About what? About my coat. Your coat? You haven't even got a coat. Oh, Dad, give me a coat, will you, please? You'll get a coat when you learn how to treat one. You're going to buck up, young man. Trouble is, you don't try. I do try, Dad. Well, I don't see any proof of it. In the meantime, you'll spend an hour a day studying all the rest of the summer to make up your work. Come in. Good morning, mister. Oh, good morning, Gus. Well, boss, what's for today? Good day to move the horses, Gus. Yeah, yeah, it's time they were off the meadows. There's a storm cooking up in the southwest. Can I help that? I've got to get four of the older horses in shape for the Rodeo. That means foolproof. Those three-year-olds have to be broken. Can't let them go any longer. Can't I help move them this year, Dad? Great guns, no. Tough enough to move a hundred horses fresh as blazes after winter out without a kid tagging along to make them nervous. Right out, Gus. Yeah, boss. Don't you want another cup of coffee, dear? No, I've had enough. Got to get started. Pancakes, Ken? No, thank you. Oh, Kenny. You can ride any horse we've got on the ranch. Why are you so set on having a colt? Oh, Mother, it isn't just riding. I want a colt to be friends with me. If I had one, I'd make it the most wonderful horse in the world. I'd feed it so it'd be bigger than any other horse on the ranch and the fastest. I'd school it so it would follow me around wherever I went. Like a dog. You see, Mother, I want a colt of my own. All my own. Well, you'd better go up and start your studying, Ken. Get it over with, hmm? Kenny! Kenny, wait! What do you want, Hildy? Going, Kenny? You're not going. I'm going to watch Dad bring in the horses. All right. We can take the shortcut and meet them halfway coming back. Oh, no, no. You better stay here. It's going to be tough enough to bring in a hundred horses. All of them as fresh as blazes after a winter out without having a girl tagging along to make them nervous. I'm coming. Those horses ain't scared of me. Oh, go on, Hildy. You better go back. I can come if I want. My father's the foreman. Well, my father's the owner of that ranch and that fell. Well, my father's the foreman and I can come if I want. Oh, all right. Yo, get back there. Yo, Rocket. Keep Rocket in the middle of the bunch, Tim. Don't let her cut out. Yo, yo, Rocket. There they are, Hildy. Down there. See them? 
better get back from the edge of that rock. We'll slip off and slide down in the meadow. I won't slip. Look, Hildy. See that big black stallion? That's Banner. That one's Rocket. Right in the middle. Gee, she's beautiful. Isn't she beautiful? Better get back. That's all. Look, do you see how Banner handles them? They have to do what he wants, all right, or he nips them. See, Hildy? Did you see? One of the mares wanted to cut out and run, but he made her get back. He... Oh, <laughs> Okay, Tim. Okay, boss. Banner took care of him. Walk him slowly on the way back. Okay, boss. Ken, come here. What were you doing down here anyway? I I came to see the horses. So you have to fall down the hill and start him into a stampede. I, I didn't mean to do it, Dad. I didn't mean to scare him. You didn't mean. You never mean anything, do you? Get up. I told you not to stand on that rock, didn't I? Now you're past mad at you. You'll catch it when you get home a bit. Oh, go away, Hildy. Ain't you coming? I'll... I'll be up later. What's that? Look, Hildy. That's a yearling. But she shouldn't be here. She must have come down from home pasture. Jesus, look at her. Isn't she beautiful? Almost a white mane. That's the albino blood. But she's like Banner, too. She's got Banner's head. Oh, can't she run like Banner, like the wind? Oh, Jesus. If I could ever have a coat like that. Counts for tonight. I'm out on my feet. How's the man feeling, Rob? Oh, so-so, I guess. Are we on the downgrade? Well, I never had so many bills and less money to pay them with. I don't seem to be able to sell the horses at a profit. But they're good horses with good blood. Mm-hmm. All but that albino strain. They've got a crazy streak in them. No use trying to sell them. I wouldn't even get back the cost of raising them at the price anybody would offer. I'd rather shoot them. I would, too, if they weren't the doggone fast. You know, I always hope to just get one decent coat out of that bunch. Well, let's go to bed. Rob. Hmm? Give Ken a cold. After the stunt he pulled this morning? Well, you know he didn't mean to. Well, he doesn't deserve a cold. Aren't you ever going to give him one? Sure, I've been expecting to. Maybe if he pays attention to his studies this summer. By the way, did he study today? Well, he exposed himself to his work. Yeah, I know. Nothing I say makes any impression. Well, don't you see? He set his heart on having a cold of his own, and he can't think of another thing. But that's all backwards. You don't bribe children to do their duty. It's not a bribe, Rob. No? What would you call it? Well, I just have a feeling that Ken isn't going to pull anything off. And it's time he did. Maybe a little thing like this would turn the trick. But that isn't a little thing. It isn't easy to break in school a cold. I'm not going to have one of my good horses spoiled by that boy's carelessness. Rob, it's important. He's got to succeed at something. What he needs... What he needs is to snap out of it. Well, if you want to put it that way. What I was going to say is, he needs to grow up a little bit. And how will having his own coat make him grow up? Oh, you know. Something of his own. Responsibility. He'd have something real and flesh and blood that he cared about more than all those things he goes mooning about. Well? Wait. Don't go. Nell, I... I'd like to give Ken a coat. I'd... I'd like to get closer to the boy somehow. But every time I get all set for a get-together session with him, he... Well, he hands me a facer like I think he pulled today. 
Rob, didn't you ever want anything more than anything else in the world? Yes. Just one thing. And I have it. You, Nell. Oh, you do understand. You do, don't you? Morning. Morning, Kenny. Sit down. Augusta's in, Rob. Hmm? He tells me Rocket break, broke away from the home pasture last night. She did? He thinks she's got a cold somewhere. Well, there wasn't one with her yesterday. Now I'll have to chase all over the range looking for her. I'll find you, Dad. All right. I'll go with you. By the way, son, uh, I'm going to take back an order I gave you yesterday. You can forget that hour of study. Huh? Oh, thanks, Dad. You can. I'm going to give you a coat. A coat? A coat of my own? Mm-hmm. I'll give it to you, oh, a week from today. That'll give you time to look them all over and make your own choice. You mean I can have any cold on the ranch? Yes. A year? That's right. Be ready to leave in ten minutes. A cold of my own. Keepers. Maybe I can have the one I saw yesterday. Any sign of her, Gus? No, boss. You want me to ride over the hill and look for her, Dad? No, stay with me. Ken, uh, you may think it's funny my giving you a coat, and what you deserve is a good hiding. Flunking all your exams and then pulling that stunt yesterday. Well, I don't want you to think I'm letting you off. I haven't gone soft. Don't get that into your head. I expect just as much of you now as I ever did. This isn't any reward because you haven't won any reward. It's, uh, well, it's a partnership. One of these days, I'm going to need your help. You have to be trained so you'll know how to give it. Every man needs training, Ken. Discipline. I got mine at West Point. Now, you're going to train a colt. I'll give you a little help just at the first breaking. But you'll have to train it, and it'll train you. Yes, sir. You know, Ken, you and your mother may have to take care of this ranch without me pretty soon. Why, Dad? Where will you be? Well, I may go back into the Army any day now, son. You understand, don't you? So I'm counting on you to make a good pony out of that colt and let it make a man out of you. Yes. Rocket's not here, boss. No colt here either. Well, I'm not surprised. I rode all over this grove yesterday, and I'm sure I didn't leave any colts behind. Besides, if Rocket had a colt, she wouldn't have left it. Dad, I saw a colt in the meadow yesterday. It got separated from that bunch in the stampede. It was a beautiful, sorrow filly with a cream mane and tail. Cream mane? Sounds like that yearling of Rocket's. Rocket's? Yeah. The filly sired by Banner last spring. That's what was the matter with Rocket last night. She missed a little filly and went back after her. Yes, if she did lose a colt, she'd very likely console herself with the yearling. She's loco, that Rocket. Well, we should pick up a track around here. Baseball. Well? There, there's a track, all right. Well, it ain't a horse, see? Right there. That's a cat, boss. Yep, it's a mountain lion, all right. Yeah, big one. Gee. We haven't had one of them around here for a long time. <laughs> it's a good thing we got the broodmares out of here yesterday. Yeah, that's what happened. The cat got Rocket's hole. When, Gus? Uh, track's not very fresh. Maybe two days old. Two days? Then it couldn't be. It couldn't be the one I saw yesterday, could it? No, of course not. You saw a yearling yesterday. Gus, we better keep an eye out for that cat. Yeah, boss. I go up around Castle Rock with a gun one day. There she is, Dad. There's Rocket. Yeah, that's the yearling with her, too. There they go. Look at that filly one, Dad. She's almost as fast as Rocket. She sure is. <laughs> what a pretty little flicker she is. Flicker? What does that mean, Gus? Swedish for little girl. Flicker. 
That's what I'll call her. My coat. Your coat? Yes, sir. That's the one I want. Rockets, Philly? Yes, sir. Well, I certainly hope you'd make a wiser decision than that. You know how I feel about Rocket. That whole line of horses. But she's fast, Dad, and... They're the worst horses I've got. There's not one among them with any real sense. The mares are hellions and the stallions are outlaws. They're untamable. I'll tame her. Nobody's ever been able to tame them. You want a horse that'll be a friend of you, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, you'll never make a friend out of that filly. No fence in the world will ever hold her. You better no. change your mind. No, I want her, Dad. Well, okay, Ken. I promise you could make your own choice. But remember, Rocket's loco and ten to one, the colt is too. But, Dad, she may not be. Banner's her father. All right, all right. It's up to you. We'll bring her in the next day. Bye for, Rob. Thought you might have something fast I could use. Well, I told you last fall about Rocket. Not interested. Charlie, with all your racehorses, you haven't got anything like Rocket. That she-devil can outrun any animal you've ever seen. Oh, you're crazy. Wouldn't like to make a little bet on that, would you? Hello, Charlie. Well, hello there, Nell. No, no, don't get out. Well, what are you two talking about? Rocket. You know, if I could get a mare that could really run without training... That's Rocket. She'd make a fortune for you, if you could break her. <laughs> I got a bronco buster who can break any horse that was ever foaled. And he can do it if she's worth breaking. Is she worth it, didn't I just tell you? How much do you want for her? Five hundred. You got a stopwatch? No, but I've got a speedometer. She's down in the lower pasture. We could get her out on the road there and chase along after her in the car. We could clock her that way. All right, come on. What do you say, Charlie? Great gun. She's like a locomotive. Does she always run like that with her nose in the air? Yeah, she's a stargazer. Look at that speedometer. 30 miles. Past her boss, she ain't flying. Go to it, Rocket. 32, 33. If she does 35, I'll buy her. 34. 35. Jumping cheaper. Well, what do you say? It's a deal. If you deliver her to my ranch, sound in wind and limb, but just how you're going to do that, my lad, is anybody's guess. You leave that to me. I'll have her in my truck this afternoon. Get in there. Get in here. Be careful, Rob. Open the trailer door, Tim. She's coming through. All set. Get up, Rob. Get up. Watch it, boss. There she is. Close the gate. Wow. Well, that rock. All right, Tim. Get on that truck. Don't swing that trailer on the curves. Remember, Charlie expects her delivered in good shape. And don't skin her up. Okay, boss. All right. Get her out of here. Well, that's that, Nell. You mean that five hundred dollars? It'll come in mighty handy, won't it? I guess we can use it. Five hundred dollars and rocket off the ranch. Oh! What oh, the... Bob, Bob, she's hurt. Hold it. Don't move that truck. Oh, Bob, Mom, what happened? What's Don't look, Kenny. Rocket. She was in the trailer and then she reared up. Go, go in the house, dear. Rocket? Go inside, dear. Take the trailer off there. I'll be right back to help you with it. Yeah, boss. Well, Rob? Ah, uh, she's finished. When she reared up, she hit her head on the gate down there. She's dead. Oh, poor Rock. Well, there's one thing I can still do. I can get rid of every albino horse on the ranch, and I'm going to. You're going to sell them? So, William. William? They're too good for William. Well, he buys horses, doesn't he? But he buys any kind of horses, and he doesn't pay anything. Oh, whatever I... he pays is good enough. Hello. Hello, Williams. This is Rob McLaughlin. Look, Williams, I've got a load of horses for you. Yeah, those albinos. Rocket's whole tribe. All right, all right, at your own price. Good. Yeah, there are nine of them. Uh, wait a minute. There may be Ted. Ken? Come here. Yes, Dad? I'm going to give you a chance to do a sensible thing. 
I want you to choose another colt and let me sell Flicker to Mr. Williams with the rest of those jugheads. For your sake, I'm asking you to do this as well as mine. Sell Flicker? What's the use of having another rocket on your hands? Did you just see what happened to her? But I'm going to tame Flicker. But you can't. It's impossible. Sometimes bad horses get tamed. You don't want a loco horse, do you? I want Flicker. Look at me. Dad, please. She's mine. You gave her to me. And she... I want her, Dad. I want Flicker. All right. Sorry to keep you waiting, Williams. I thought there was one more, but there are only nine. In a few minutes, Mr. DeMille and our stars, George Brent, Roddy McDowell, and Rita Johnson, will return in Act Two of My Friend Flicker. And now, let's try to catch up with a busy lady who has quite an unusual job. There it goes. The whistle that means the end of the daytime shift at Central Aircraft. Miss Emery. Oh, Miss Emery, uh, won't you let us have a few minutes? Mm, two at the most. I've got a line of girls waiting for me. Miss Emery. Did you ever think when you got your nurse's cap that someday you'd also be beauty advisor at a great airplane factory? <laughs> Hardly, Mr. Kennedy. Because no one ever thought a few years ago that beauty counsel and factory work would go together. But practical, hard-headed management has found that it pays. Well, uh, tell us why, won't you? Well, to put it briefly, executives have been discovering that when spirits are high, work is good. Of course, every woman knows that when she looks her best, she's likely to be feeling her best. And so, doing her best. That's why we urge the girls to take good care of their hands, their hair, and their skin. Even suggest bright nail polish. Helps morale, you know. Yes, I can see that it would. Uh, what do you tell the girls about complexion care, Miss Emery? Well, we tell them there's no one thing that contributes more to a girl's good looks than a smooth, lovely skin. Do you make a practical suggestion? Yes, we stress regular care. No skipping beauty care at bedtime just because you're tired. A complexion care must be gentle, too. One you can depend on. Well, that sounds as though you were going to mention Lux Toilet Soap any minute now. Well, it just happens that my own beauty care is Lux Toilet Soap, Mr. Kennedy. I've used it for years. Well, I'm sure of one thing, Miss Emery. That gorgeous Lux complexion of yours must have quite an influence with the girls in backing up what you tell them. Well, thank you, Mr. Kennedy. As a matter of fact, Lux Toilet Soap is a great favorite at the plant. So many of the girls find that regular, active lather facials give them real beauty help. Thank you very much, Miss Emery. It's true that not only nine out of ten screen stars, but women everywhere, find that this famous white soap does give skin the gentle protecting care it ought to have. Now, here's a shopping suggestion. Lux Toilet Soap. Hollywood's Beauty Soap. Tomorrow. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. My Friend Flicker, starring George Brent as Rob, Roddy McDowell as Ken, and Rita Johnson as Nell.
Flicka has lost the freedom of the pasture. She's learning now that to be a friend of man, she must submit to the flash of a rope around her neck and the high bars of the corral. But Flicker's blood is that of the wild albino, a breeding of the open prairie land. Get her into the stable, Sam. Just stand by the door. She gets in, bolted after her. Yeah, boss. Get in there. there she goes. She's going in the stable, Dad. Watch it, guys. Now. now, get that door closed. She's in, boss. Yeah. Well, that's that. Sure, it's a vile one, boss. Come look on that, Billy. I'll leave her in there to think it over. Hey, she's pretty mad. She's around the side there. She's coming through the side window, boss. Get around there, quick. There she goes, right through the glass. Flicker, Flicker, come back. Watch her on the barbed wire. Head her away if you can. Yeah, get back. She's going right for the fence, boss. Well, if she's anything like her mother, she'll go right through that wire. Yeah, look out, you. Flicker! Oh, Flicker! Now, what did I tell you? She ran right into it. Come on, Gus. Whoa, girl. Oh, easy there. Easy. Whoa. Whoa. Got your pliers, Tim? Yeah. Hold her leg there. Oh, girl. Oh, girl. Yeah, she's all cut. She's bleeding. Snip that wire, Tim. Sure got herself wrapped up in this. Oh, hurry, Tim. Please, hurry. He's, he's doing the best he can. She's cut pretty bad, boss. I don't think she'll pull out of it. Well, maybe it's just as well. If it hadn't been this way, it would have been another. A loco horse isn't worth a bullet it takes to shoot it. Oh, liquor. Liquor. Kenny, eat your dinner. I'm not hungry, Mom. Please, Kenny. Do I have to? You heard what your mother said. But, but, Flicker, she... I thought maybe I could go down and see how she is. Your mother said to eat. Let him go to a rod. He can't do her any good. Just in ten pulled her inside the fence and put menthol and blue on her cut. She snaps out of it. She's got water and oats. Rob, let him go. All right, Please. all right. Go ahead, go ahead, go on. Flicker, does it hurt a lot, Flicker? I didn't mean to hurt you. I just wanted you to be mine. And and that means you'd have to get to know me. That's why we brought you here, Flicker. So we could be friends. I'll stay here with you as much as I can. I'll come here every morning and every night. And every day after I finish my work until you get well again. Oh, get well, Flicker. Please be all right. Please, Flicker. wild albino, insisting on keeping it. Crazy nag. Well, it's been hard on him, too. He's all broken up worrying about it. Well, so am I. I'm burned up. What's it all for? He's going to have a horse to train. Why didn't he pick a decent one? And I would have taught him something. Made a man of him. What can he do with this poor little filly? Give him a little time, Rob. You just see all this is changing, Kenny. He's learning. Learning what? To sit under a tree all day and moon over? No. He's learning to face facts. I haven't noticed him facing any facts. You will. If you just watch for it. Tim! Rutherford! Coming right there, Mom. Well, what's he so chipper about this morning? Flicker. She's better. Oh, coming along, huh? Mm-hmm. Right? She's almost well. The pets are all healed up and she's eating like a horse. Hmm? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're going to have a pleasant summer after all. 
If she doesn't turn out to be another rocket. Oh, I hope not. We'll find that out when we put a holder on her. Well, what kind of matters is that? Well, I'm sorry. Good morning, Mom. Morning, Dad. Morning, Ken. Coffee, Rock. Thanks. Ken, now that Flick is better, I want you to remember that you have some other duties. Oh, yes, sir. You can give some of your time to your cold, but not all of your time. Oh, I won't, Dad. Oh, Dad. Hmm? Could you come down and look at Flicker this morning and see how she is? Well, will Her Highness let you get near her? Well, not too close. She's still a little scared. But she'll let you look at her from the other side of the fence. That's big of her. Okay. We'll go down after breakfast and give her the once over. Oh, swear. Here she is, Dad. Good morning, Flicker. Now listen, Flicker. Dad's coming down to look at you, so be a good girl and don't run away, will you? Well, she does look good. Fine, Ken. Yes, sir. Her cuts are all healed up, except for the one on the right front leg. And it's almost well. I think she's beautiful. Dad, do, do you think she's local? I'd have sworn it by the way she's behaved ever since she was born. But we've never seen her except when she was scared out of her wits. Oh, every horse looks wild in the eye when it's terrified. She tried to go through that fence and she knew she shouldn't. Yes, well, we'll forgive her that one. Point is, will she learn? Can she learn? And we... We've got to find that out, don't we? I mean, if she is local, maybe I'll never get her trained. Of course not. And there's no maybe about it. Son, what have I been telling you all these weeks? Didn't you understand? What did you think local meant? Sort of goofy or wild or hard to handle. Oh, no. It's much more serious than that. There can be insanity among animals, and bad blood can carry it on. And that albino blood isn't safe for any filly to have. But you said maybe it's just because she's been scared. Well, that's right. We won't really know until we see how she responds to training. Dad, how can I train her? All you can do is try to win her confidence. You know, son, if you take everything away from a living creature, freedom, friends, its home, habits, and happiness, It'll turn in sheer need and desperation of the one thing that's left. In this case, that's you. Me? Yes. You're her whole life now. Make her like me. Oh, I will, Dad. I will. Give her love and companionship. And talk to her. Will she understand me? Of course. And a horse can tell you a lot of things, too. If you watch, and expect her to be sensible and smart. Pay attention to all the little signs. The way it moves its body, the ears, the eyes, and the whinnies. That's his way of talking, Jim. That's right. There's the neigh of terror, the scream of rage, the whinny of nervous impatience, and the nicker of longing or hunger or friendliness. You learn its language and it'll learn yours. And never forget, horses understand everything you say to them. Everything, Dad? Everything. You mean... You mean if they're not local? Yes, Ken. as I can. There. There you are. Come and get it. Good, isn't it, Flicker? Oh, Flicker, you do understand me, don't you? Now, eat it all so you'll be big and strong like Banner. You know, you've got a very smart father, Flicker, and you've got to forget all your wild ways and be just like him. Who are you talking to? Flicker. Oh, horses can't understand people's talk. Well, that's all you know. Flicker understands everything I say, and what's more, she talks back to me. Ah, poo. Well, maybe you don't know, but horses got a language all their own. There's the neigh of terror, the scream of rage, the whinny of nervous impatience, the nicker of longing. See, there's the nicker of hunger. Hmm. Can. What? Can. Can you wiggle your ears? Oh, go away, Hildy. Oh, 
you mind, Ken? Want to speak to me about something? Yes, Mom. Well? Mom, did you ever want anything terribly? Most everyone wants something, dear. But you're grown up. You're married. You've got Dad and me. Why, you're finished. (laughs) (laughs) Then I shouldn't still be wanting, should I? But people do, Ken. Everyone? Always, Mom? Don't you ever get really finished? I wonder. Maybe sometime, for a minute or two. What is it you want now, Ken? Oh, Mom, I want Flicker to be all right. Not local. Oh, perhaps she isn't local, dear. We don't know yet for sure, but if she is, Ken, wanting won't change it. If she is, it'll look bad for her, won't it? Well, let's see what happens when we try to halt a breaker. Does she have to be hauled or broke, Mom? We've got to find out, don't we? I suppose so. But, but what if she won't let us? She loves you, doesn't she? Oh, yes, I'm sure she does. Well, that shows she's intelligent. How does it, Mom? Well, it's just a way of putting away fear. Don't you understand, Ken? But if you find love, if a person or an animal finds love, it's the same as finding safety. It's comfort and friendliness and help. Everyone longs for it. And if Flicker's found it, yet doesn't have sense enough to know she's found it and goes on being crazy and silly with fear, then... Then, then she'd be local. Yes. Start getting the hay in tomorrow, Gus. Sure, boss. Well, I'm hiring some hands for the next week or so. They'll eat a lot. I'll be ready. Good. Hello, son. Dad, I've been thinking. Don't you think it's about time that... that we hold a broke flicker? What's that? I... I think we ought to find out now. You know what it means, Ken? Yes, I know. It... it'll prove whether or not she... whether I can have a trainer. I'll leave it to you, son. When do you want to try? Well, I thought... I thought today... Ken? Yes, sir. Flicker! Come here, Flicker! Have your rope ready, Tim, just in case. All set. Flicker! She's turning. Here she comes, Dad, see? Yep. All right. Now put your band on around her neck and tie it in a loose knot. Go ahead. Like, like this? That's it. Easy, Flicker. Easy. Now take your belt off and slip it through the band on That's it. Now take a hold of the belt and lead her around. Go on. Yes, Leave Dad. Her. Come on, Flicker. Come on, girl. That's right, Flicker. Don't be nervous. You'll be all right. Don't be nervous. All right. Now bring her back. Yes, sir. This way, Flicker. That's the girl. Yes, Dad? Well, son, I'd call that halter broken. But it isn't a halter, Dad. Followed your son. She walked along with you without fear. That's enough. But but how did she get halter broke, Dad? That's the way we break horses on the Goose Bar Ranch. You'll figure it out for yourself. Come on, Gus. Let's get out those machines. Oh, Mom, did you see? She's not local. She's not local. Hello, Gus. Kenny, I think maybe you better come to the pasture right away. What's the matter? Is it Flicker? Yeah. Her leg from the barbed wire. I think maybe she got infection. Infection? Is it bad? She's lying down. I think maybe it is very bad. Uh, 
Clear up, Tim. We've got to get that hay in before tonight. Okay, boss. Rain in the air, boss. Yeah, going to storm. Dad. What, son? Dad, I'd like to talk to you. What about? Rip it, Tim. It's about flicker. Flicker, for the love of Mike, Ken. Can't you see I'm busy? This is no time to be worrying about that filly. I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't know you were... Uh, just a moment. What is it, son? Is Flicker worse? Oh, Dad, she's so sick. Will you come down and see her? Maybe you can do something to help her. All right. I'll come and have a look at her. Keep it going here, Tim. Come on, Doc. There she is, Dad. She's lying down oh, again. For the love of... What's happened to her? She's been getting awfully thin. Thin? Oh, I can count every rib. I'm afraid she ain't going to pull out of it, boss. Pull out of it? She's dead already. How long has she been like this? She's been going down fast the last few days. It's the fever. It's burning her up. She's going to die, Dad. She'll die unless we do something. I'm afraid it's too late, Ken. We, we'll have to put her out of her misery. Dad, you mean... Oh, no, Dad, we can't. We can't do that. I'm sorry, Ken. But it isn't fair to an animal to let it suffer like this. Look at her. She's burning up. Why? She can hardly breathe. Gus, you know what to do. There's a gun in the shed. And pick a time when Ken is not around. After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille presents Roddy McDowell, George Brent, and Rita Johnson in Act Three of My Friend Flicker. Now, here's Sally, and uh, looking a little puzzled, too. Mr. Kennedy, I've got a letter here from my young cousin Joe in the Army, and, well, I can't understand a word of this sentence. Uh, read it, Sally. Maybe I can help you. He says, was in the limp line this week, Sally. I'm okay now, though. The doc slipped me some shutters... And sent me packing for my snore sack. That's elementary, my dear Sally. It means Joe was at sick call. The doctor gave him some sleeping pills and sent him to bed. Any more? Yes, he goes on to say, The eagle flew yesterday, which gives me enough pocket lettuce to go to town Sunday. I'll have to get flicked up with a chili bowl first and... <laughs> Goodness, Mr. Kennedy, you'd better translate that. He means yesterday was payday. And so he has enough paper money to go to town. But first, he has to get a haircut. Well, now at last, I'm coming to something I can understand. He says, and say, when it comes to flicking up, that package of Lux soap you sent me is okay. Boy, the lather's wonderful, the kind a man likes. He might even have said, Lux soap slicks a man up by the numbers. That's army talk, too, Sally, and it means with precision and efficiency. Sally, it looks as though that present of yours made a hit in any language. Well, Mr. Kennedy, I've always noticed that the men in our family enjoy using Lux soap just as much as I do. Sure, Sally, why not? Men like a little luxury, too. A bath with that rich, creamy Lux soap lather makes a man feel like a million. Did you know, Mr. Kennedy, Lux toilet soap is a bestseller in all branches of the service? Yes, Sally, and there are lots of good reasons for it. For one thing, Lux toilet soap costs so little. And being hard-milled, it lasts such a long time. You can use it right down to the last thin sliver. But most important of all, men go for that rich, active lather that gets off the day's dust and grime with neatness and dispatch. Does it gently, too. Yep, Sally, as a soap for face and hands, and as a bath soap, too, Lux has everything. 
Yes, and it's nice to know it's one of those little everyday luxuries we can all afford. Right, Sally. So here's our tip to women everywhere. Let all the family enjoy using this fine white soap. And remember, Lux Toilet Soap is hard milled. It lasts. And it's easy on your budget. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. After the play, we'll have a chat with our stars and a surprise guest star. Now the third act of My Friend Flicker, starring Roddy McDowell, George Brent, and Rita Johnson. In the morning, before Ken is awake, a rifle shot will bring an end to Flicker's suffering. Now in the quiet of the night, the boy steals silently from the house down to the pasture to whisper a last goodbye to his friend. But Flicker is not there. Flicker! Flicker, where are you? Flicker! Then at last he finds her. Flicker has stumbled to the stream. And she lies there on her side, her head in the water. There's a spark of life still burning in her. All night, the boy crouches beside her in the icy current, his young arms cradling her head, holding it clear of the stream, whispering words of comfort, fighting off death. In the morning, the boy is close to death himself. Well, Doctor? Uh, give him one of these pills every hour. I'll call to see him again tonight. He's a pretty sick boy, isn't he? He's very sick, Rob. What happened to him? He went down to see his coat last night when she was lying in the stream. Just found him there this morning. You don't know how long. Perhaps all night. I see. Well, you'd better have this prescription filled right away. I'll take you into town and bring it right back. Come on. No. Don't worry, darling. You'll be all right. Hurry, Rob. Please, hurry. Flicker dead? No, missus. Tim and Mealy fixed her up in a blanket sling. She can't stand alone. But she drank a bucket of water like a good one. Did... Did Rob say you didn't have to shoot it? No, missus. But I just couldn't do it. When I found him like that this morning, feeling the little boy... I, I know, just... Garrett. I know what you mean. She's got plenty strength yet. She could live, maybe. She could? Sometimes I think just miracles can still happen. It was the cold water washing the fever out of her. But it was more than that. It was Ken giving her courage. All night that little fella sitting by her and saying, Hold on, Flicker. I'm here with you. The two of us together. Uh, storm coming up, missus. Big one. I'll stay here, I guess. Maybe you need me. Thank you, sir. Yeah. I made it as fast as I could. Road washed out. I had to go the long way. How is he? He seems a little better. He's been resting. Oh, good. Here's the medicine. I'll give it to him right away. Well, Gus, did you do as I told you? Boss, I just couldn't. Well, I gave the order. You had plenty of time. 
just couldn't do it. Where's the you... rifle? I left it in the bunker. I'll go and get it. I'll do it myself. Oh, Rob, please don't. Ken knows she's alive. He thinks she'll get well. Give him something to hope for. It would have been a lot better if that poor little filly was shot weeks ago. It's been nothing but trouble and misery for all of us. Look what it's done to Ken. I wish you wouldn't, Rob. He needn't know. He'll hear the shot. In the storm, he'll think it's thunder. No, no, he'll know it's the rifle. Sorry, Nell. It's just no use letting sick animals live. <laughs> thunderstorms all of her life. That was Dad's car I heard before. Wasn't it, Tom? Yes, dear. He's home. And then... Then he went out again. Didn't he, Mom? Yes. Down to... Down to the pasture. Oh, Ken. I know she's sick. She's so sick. We can't allow animals. We mustn't let them suffer. Maybe she'll get better. It could happen, Ken. ever since a few years after you were born. What was it, Mom? It was a little girl, Ken. Oh. We wanted the same thing, didn't we? How do you mean, now? Do you know what little girl would be, sweetie? Flicker. Little Flicker. Oh, Ken. Ken, dear. <laughs> <laughs> No, darling. It was a shot. No, no, it was thunder. It was thunder, Ken. He's dead. Flick is dead. Flick. about you. Is that Flicker? Yep. But I... Why, I heard a shot. It was the mountain lion. I took a crack at him. Did you get him? No, but I will before morning. But what about Flicker? You said you were going to... Yeah, I know, I know. But I couldn't do it. That darn little fool wants to die. She'll have to do it by herself. Oh. Ken heard the shot. Yeah. How'd he take it? Well, he took it. Didn't question it. Didn't seem to rebel. Well, if he wakes up and asks, I don't think you'd better tell him she's still alive. Oh, but Rob, that... She may be dead by morning. Wouldn't surprise me. He's accepted her death now. If he knows she's still alive, he'll be all upset again. I won't tell him. You better get along up to the house. If that cat's still around, I don't want you wandering around in the dark. Well, are you going to stay here? With that filly tied up like that, the cat will probably come back. Can't leave her. Rob... Rob. Now go along, Mel. I don't want to... Rob, look. 
Over here. In the tree. All right. Don't move. I can see his eyes, Rob. Quiet. If we move, he'll spring. All right. I've got a sight on him now. That finishes. Easy, Flicker. Easy, girl. That cat won't bother you now. Well, young fella, how's it feel to be out again? Fine, Dad. He's still a little shaky in the legs, Bob. We have to stop and sit down a minute. Up you go, young fella. I'll carry you for a while. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Well, the doctor said to walk, didn't he? Well, we'll walk. <laughs> Where are we going? Oh, I thought we'd take a look down the home pasture. I've got the yearlings in there again. Oh, the yearlings? Sure. Still want a colt, don't you? Well, you can pick one out. Dad. Anyone on the ranch. Dad, I don't want to pick one out now. Why, Ken? Please, not now. Ah, there they are. Some beauties in that pack, Ken. Oh, please, Dad. Look, Ken. Look at that pretty little filly. That one over there. Why, why, she... Mom, it's like Flicker. It is Flicker. Ha, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But, but I thought... I didn't shoot her. I couldn't. That shot was for the mountain lion. Oh. I killed it. Oh, Flicker. Flicker, come here. It's me, Flicker. It's your friend. Oh, easy, Ken. Flicker, here she comes. Oh, Dad, look. She knows me. Hello, Flicker. <laughs> oh, Flicker. She did get gentle, didn't she, Dad? Gentle as a kitten. She's given us a lot of trouble, son. She's taught us a few things, too. Important things. You, responsibility. And me, that there is such a thing as hope beyond hope. And sometimes, when things are at their lowest ebb, all we need do is have a little more love, a little more patience, and a little more faith. Dad, does she know what we're saying now? I think so. And now she's asking if she can run again. <laughs> Go on, Flicker. Run, Flicker. Run! The curtain falls on my friend Flicker. And our very good friends, George Brent, Brady McDowell, and Rita Johnson, answer your applause with a well-earned curtain call. Thank you, C.B. And I'd just like to say that Roddy is the biggest trooper for his size I've ever seen. What's your ambition, Roddy? Well, Miss Johnson, I hope someday to be the checker champion of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big ambition. Think you'll make it? Oh, I practice any time I can find a pigeon. Oh, I mean a partner. <laughs> I played with my dad before he went to sea with the merchant marine. Keep it up. Competition is good for the soul, Roddy. Yes, sir. Sometimes it's good for the lungs, too. Before Henry Fonda went in the Navy, he and I used to see who could hold his breath for the longest. You can find the score on the wall of his old dressing room. What the winner get, a chocolate soda? Or maybe a Sunday, Miss Johnson. I'd like to buy you one of my special Sundays sometimes. <laughs> I'd love it, Roddy. What's in it? Well, you know those pumps they have in the soda fountain with the chocolate and raspberry and other stuff uh -huh. in it? Uh-huh. Well, you take out a dish of ice cream and you put a squirt out of each pump on it. Then you hold your breath for a good long time. <laughs> It sounds a little complicated, Roddy. Now, I like simple things. I think that's why I'm so fond of Lux Soap. You see, it's very easy complexion here. It doesn't take much time, and that's important when you're busy. Now, Lux Soap is made for girls who are both beautiful and busy, Rita. And believe me, things are going to be beautifully busy around this microphone next week. What's the place, E.B.? 
It's Philip Barry's sensational hit, The Philadelphia Story. A two-time hit, first on Broadway during a long run, and later as a Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer picture. And our stars will be... Well, I... I told you we'd have a surprise guest tonight. It's one of next week's stars, Robert Taylor. Hello, everyone. You've held back the most important part of the news, C.B. I, I guess Bob means the rest of our cast. We'll have three stars in the Philadelphia story next week. Robert Taylor, Loretta Young, and Robert Young. Yes. Bob Young and I are both delighted at the opportunity of working with Loretta. I think we're going to have a swell time here next week. As lucky for us, we caught you all during a week off from pictures. What's your latest over at Petro Golden Mayor, Bob? It's called Batan, C.B., and there are a lot of great fellows in it. George Murphy, Tommy Mitchell, Lloyd Nolan, Lee Bowman, Desi Arnaz, and a very promising newcomer named Bob Walker. The story's about an incident in the Philippine campaign that involved 13 men and not a single woman. No women? <laughs> That's a novelty for pictures. <laughs> the word Batan will always stand for something very noble in American history. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what the picture's like. Incidentally, Bob, how much longer will you be in Hollywood? Uh, just a short time, C.B. I have one picture to finish, which won't take long. And then, ladies and gentlemen, Bob enters the Navy Air Corps. <laughs> we wanted to have him here just once more before he left. That will be next Monday night when we present Robert Taylor, Loretta Young, and Robert Young... In the Philadelphia story. Glad to be aboard, C.B. I'm expecting a great show, Bob. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you at the hospital, Bob. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Robert Taylor, Loretta Young, and Robert Young in the Philadelphia story. Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. <laughs> Heard in tonight's play were Leo Cleary as Gus, Mary Lou Harrington as Hildy, Fred Mackay as Tim, Norman Field as Mr. Sargent, and Charles Steele as the doctor. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. And this is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in next Monday night to hear Robert Taylor, Loretta Young, and Robert Young in The Philadelphia Story. Food rationing and shortages don't worry me. I make sure my family gets enough vitamins and minerals. I just buy Vims and add them to my family's meals. You see, Vims are scientifically designed to help make meals complete. Right, for Vims give you all the essential vitamins and all minerals. That's all for this episode of Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us on February 14th for our special Valentine's Day episode, where my sister Ruby and I will be discussing the Subterraneans. This is Zoe Dean signing off, reminding you as always, dear friends, to keep smiling. You seem to bring faraway spring When you're in the room for every night
seven. Every time the same thing happens, I fall once again in love, but only with you. Every night about seven. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast. The podcast is hosted, written, edited, and produced by Zoe Dean. The occasional co-writer and constant help with this podcast is Julie Carricker. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Barron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The films and television shows discussed and heard in these podcasts remain the property of their respective owners. Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast is not affiliated with any major film or television company, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. This has been a Barren Space production.